Okay, I have to take a deep breath after something like that. That's always kind of gets me a little nervous, uh, uh, just a little nervous. But I am really excited to be here. Um, and I didn't realize all of the wonderful connections uh, between my family and my work and Truett uh, until uh, on one of my first visits here, I saw a plaque somewhere, I think in the Great Hall and then again in, in, in your office, Todd, uh, of uh, Paul and Katie Piper. Uh, the Pipers uh, are friends, uh, were friends of my parents. And actually, oddly enough, when my father, uh, who was a Methodist minister, when he was serving a church in Memphis, Tennessee, Christ uh, Methodist Church in Memphis, the Pipers attended that church. And that was in the early days uh, of, of World Methodist Evangelism. And they were, my father was very much involved, and they were trying to recruit a full-time staff person, the first full-time staff person. Uh, and Paul and Katie heard about that, and... Uh, came forward really and said that they would like to support that effort. And so by the generosity of Paul and Katie Piper, uh, my predecessor, Dr. Eddie Fox, was able to be hired as the first full-time uh, leader of World Methodist Evangelism. Fast forward 25 or 26 years uh, to 2014 when I uh, came on board with World Methodist Evangelism and Paul and Katie Piper's son, Paul, and his wife, Shirley, heard uh, about our work and knew the, knew the family connection and stepped forward once again uh, to provide the funding uh, for this position for the first few years. So our ties, uh, God has brought us all together for a reason, and I just think that's remarkable. So I'm just excited to be able to be here. Uh, I already feel like I'm at home, so that's a, that's a good sign for me. So. Anyway, I'm just grateful to be able to be with you. But will you pray with me? Gracious God, take the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart and shape them and mold them and make them exactly as you want them to be. And then place me firmly behind your cross so that the word that's heard today is your word and the spirit that moves in this place belongs only to you. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Well, when I first came on board with World Methodist Evangelism, one of the things we do is provide training in evangelism for people all over the world. And so we had an evangelism training in Kenya, and we were hosted by the Methodist Church Kenya, which is different from the United Methodist Church. Uh, it's an autonomous uh, denomination in Kenya. And uh, the Methodist church there was led, in that re region, was led by Bishop William Moriuki. And so as we engaged each other, he apologized to me ahead of time because he said he was going to have to leave uh, sometime during that day because he had witnessed uh, an accident of some sort and he was going to have to testify in the court proceedings related to that accident. And he said, you know, that he, because of his busy schedule, they just were going to give him a phone call when it was time for him to testify, and he could just go down to the, to the courthouse and, and testify. And I thought that was really bizarre, because if you were here and you had to testify in a court case, nobody was going to let you just go about your day and then just give you a call when it was time for you to show up. But that's exactly what happened. They called him, and, and he left to go testify. And as I was thinking about that, uh, I realized uh, that... Bishop Mariuki, he has to be ready to give his testimony 
at a moment's notice. He has to be ready to give it at a moment's notice. He didn't know when that phone call was going to come, so he had to be ready. Whenever that phone call came, he had to be ready to give his testimony. Now, that's the way it is, actually, with every single Christian. We have to be ready uh, to be a witness, to share about what we have seen, heard, and experienced, to simply tell the truth about what we have seen, heard, and experienced whenever we are called upon. So that means that there's no time for, like, major preparation. We don't, we need, don't get a committee together to plan a big event. We don't, you know, invite someone from the outside. We ourselves have to be ready at a moment's notice whenever we're called upon. Well, world evangelism is about empowering people to be ready. That's what we do, ready to share our faith with those around us, ready to reach out with the healing salvation of Jesus Christ to testify in whatever way and whatever moment we're called to do that. And that sense of readiness, that willingness to share about Jesus Christ whenever the opportunity presented itself, that was at the heart of the life of the early church. It was at the heart of the life of the early church. Whether it was Peter sharing with beggars at the temple gates, or Philip preaching in Samaria, or Paul and Barnabas heading out to the Gentiles, or Lydia opening up her household for whatever uh, economic status believer might be wanting to come and hear about Jesus, early Christians, early Christ followers, were willing to cross boundaries and build bridges in remarkable ways. All, all so that people could witness the inbreaking of the kingdom. All so that people could witness the inbreaking of the kingdom. And that's what our passage today points to. The willingness to cross boundaries and build bridges, becoming all things to all people so that by all means we might save some. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, finding common ground with everyone so that we can bring them to Christ. Now, did you know that uh, at the beginning of the 20th century, uh, one-third of the world was Christian at the beginning of the 20th century? And today, over a century later, that number hadn't changed very much. Basically, one-third of the world is Christian. But one thing has changed. One thing has changed, our attitude. Our attitude. In 1910, Christian leaders gathered uh, for the World Missionary Conference, okay? And they met to talk about the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ all over the world. That was their topic. And while they were there, they lamented. They lamented that only one-third of the world was Christian. Now, in 2010, uh, Christian leaders gathered to mark the 100th anniversary of that event, and, uh, and they celebrated at that conference, they celebrated that one-third of the world was Christian. Lament and celebration. That's a pretty significant change in attitude. Now, there have been a few other changes since that 1910 conference. I mean, those folks in 1910, they met in Edinburgh, Scotland, Global North, right? That should tell you something. Uh, and the people at that meeting were mostly from Europe and America, and of course, they were mostly men. A hundred years later, in 2010, the third LaSalle Conference of 
world on world evangelism took place. They met in Cape Town, Global South. That also should tell you something, right? And the people at that conference were not nearly as European, not nearly as American, and there were a lot of women there. Now, it's a dramatic thing when the center of gravity shifts. It's a dramatic thing when the center of gravity shifts. It can cause you to lose your balance. Now, how many of y'all know how to ride a bike? Yay, good, 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 good. Well, to ride a bike, to ride a bike, you have to find your center of gravity, right? And you gotta stay balanced on it. And if that center shifts and pulls you to one side or the other, you can instinctively scramble. Basically, you're just gonna instinctively scramble so you don't fall down. Well, the center of gravity of Christianity has shifted. It's not in the global north and west, it's in the global south and east. And this isn't new news, I mean, especially y'all ought to know that, okay? But it sure is taking us a long time to accept that fact. It's really taking us a long time to accept it, and the folks who have been used to riding the bike, they are still scrambling to find the center, to find that new center. And all kinds of other things are happening as we're trying to find our new center. We've got huge migrations of, of people from one place to another, sometimes because they want to and sometimes because they have to. And in parts of the, the country, not really here as much, COVID feels like it's never going to go away. In my part of the world, COVID feels like it's not going to ever go away. Uh, and that can make church challenging. That can make doing church challenging. And now Mr. Putin is wrecking havoc in uh, Ukraine, and gas prices are soaring, and supply chains are all messed up. So all of that is on top of our normal stuff, relationship problems and economic woes and school and job frustrations and challenges. We've always had those. So basically, our world is just as much a mess as it always has been. It's just as much a mess as it always has been. And yet, this is a historical moment in which we find ourselves. This is the historical moment in which we find ourselves. This is the moment in which we are called to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. It's a time of, of class, uh, clashes of culture, clashes of religion. The center of gravity has shifted. People have lost their balance and they're frightened and there's deep uncertainty about the future. Yet as Christians, as Christians, we of all people have something to say about the future. We have something dramatic and vital to say about the future. We have something to say about the future because the future that we hope for isn't about what's happening right now, even though, of course, that's important. The future that we hope for involves a complete overhaul from the foundations up, the ultimate healing of all creation, human beings, nature, the entire universe. As Christians, we are people of hope, living in the light cast by the resurrection. And that means that we interpret, or at least we should interpret, everything in our world in terms of the surprising and unexpected future made known in the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth by God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So our hope isn't in human progress, it isn't in resolving the conflict in Ukraine or finding a cure for COVID, even though all that would be awesome. 
Our hope isn't in human progress. It's in God the Father who sent the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit to bring salvation in all of its dimensions, the reconciliation of all things, the fullness of the kingdom. That's good news. I mean, come on, man. That's good news. But this, that's the problem, right? We've got this good news, and it's as though we're living in a perpetual Easter Saturday. A perpetual Easter Saturday. And Easter Saturday is a day that Scripture tells us absolutely nothing about. Nothing about. It was an in-between day. An in-between day. In just a few weeks, it's going to be Easter Saturday. But I, about, I don't think many of y'all are going to celebrate Easter Saturday. You know, you think you are. What are you going to do? Easter vigil. Oh, good for you. Because most everybody just has Easter egg hunts for their kids. Which isn't really celebrating Easter Saturday. You know, that's, you're just celebrating Sunday on Saturday. But good for you. Good for you. But we don't usually do stuff like that. We don't usually do stuff like that because it's an in-between day. On one side is the horror of Good Friday. And on the other side is the glory of Easter. The glory of Easter. And Easter Saturday sits right smack in the middle and there's not a single word of explanation in Scripture. And that really is the situation that we find ourselves in as we seek to say a hopeful word about the future. As we seek to find common ground. We are in between. We're living an in-between faith. We're in our cultures, but not of them. We're committed to a kingdom that's here, but not yet fully here. Now, anthropologists call it liminality. Liminality. It literally means threshold, you know, and they use the word to talk about rituals and the disorientation that can happen in that middle stage when people leave their pre-ritual state, but they haven't quite made it, you know, the transition to the status that they're going to hold when the ritual is complete. So during this liminal stage, people stand at the threshold between their previous way of understanding themselves and understanding time or, or community and a new way which the ritual is going to establish. My son got engaged earlier this year. And he and his fiancée have made the commitment to be married, but they're not married yet. They're not married yet. They're in a liminal stage. It's an in-between time for them. Now, for me, uh, liminality doesn't just describe a particular ritual. It describes my entire way of being a Christian. Uh, as Christians, we are on our way, but we're not quite there yet. We're in between. We can, that can be really uncomfortable. That can be really uncomfortable. But I believe it's one of our greatest strengths. It's one of our greatest strengths because liminality, this sense of in-betweenness, it's a bridge to the wider culture. It's the common ground that enables us to take Paul's words to heart. Because no matter where you live, no matter what your culture is, all human beings experience liminality. We all experience change. We all experience transition. We all experience movement. But really tapping into that strength is going to take theological imagination. You know, we need to revive our theological imagination so that people can see a glimmer of what's to come.
It's about reviving our theological imagination and being today what God intends for all of creation in the future. Being today what God intends for all of creation in the future. You know, one of the sad realities of our, of our fallen condition is that, that tragedy and loss are as much a part of life as fulfillment and achievement, sometimes even more. But one of the strengths of our story is that tragedy and loss are always fully acknowledged. They're never ignored. That's because our story is a story of redemption, the redemption of all creation, all of history, all of the failure, wickedness, all of the evil, suffering and death have been redeemed. They've been redeemed. The cross of Jesus, where he experienced the agony of a God-forsaken death, the cross of Jesus isn't just this stage of upward mobility, upward progress. It is the descent into the depths of the human condition in order to bring God into those depths. We don't edit the cross out of our story, which is why we can never edit out the victims or gloss over the horrors. Instead, when we proclaim the story of the cross, we proclaim God's loving solidarity with all who suffer, we offer hope for a time when God will wipe away tears from every eye and take God's entire creation beyond the reach of evil. If we're going to follow Paul's example of being all things to all people so that by all means we might save some, we've got to get serious about living in the light cast by the resurrection and identifying and proclaiming in this in-between time all those signs of God's promised future. We got to identify and proclaim to the world that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that same spirit calls into being life and health and faith and hope in places where there is no capacity for that and no accounting for it. All those signs that are in the world, but not of it, just like us, they point to God's future. But it's not just about calling attention to all of this. It's about becoming involved with God's spirit in all that God is doing so that we can embody the genuine presence of the new in the midst of the old, so that we can become a microcosm now of what God intends for the future. Because remember, we live in the light cast by the resurrection. Our hope isn't in human progress. It's in God the Father who sent the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit to bring salvation in all of its dimensions, the reconciliation of all things, the fullness of the kingdom. When we claim that good news and when we live in ways that show others that we really do believe it, God does begin to create the genuine presence of the new in the midst of the old. But like most things, it's not easy. The refiner's fire is always hot. But in an in-between age, if we aren't already able to speak an in-between language, we need to learn how. 
We need to learn how. We need to start listening to people who know firsthand what it means to stand at the threshold, to have their feet in more than one culture, uh, whether that culture is defined by ethnicity or language or ability or citizenship status or any other category. If we're going to embody the presence of God's new creation in the midst of the old, we have to become in-between Christians, liminal Christ followers. Christ followers who can build bridges from one social setting to another. Christ followers who can find common ground, be all things to all people. Following Jesus really is about being a liminal Christian, an in-between Christian, a bridge-building Christian who's willing to risk embodying the presence of God's new creation in the midst of the old. Someone who will become a foretaste of God's intention for all the world, finding common grounds with, other, with others, entering into their pain and their suffering and sharing their joy and their celebration. Someone who's willing to share the depths of the lives of others and share the depths of their faith with others. That means we gotta have a particular way of being if we're gonna do all this. If we're going to be an in-between Christian, we have to have a particular way of being in the world, a way that bridges culture, a way that transcends culture, a way that refuses to submit to the lordship of the here and the now, a way that recognizes a different set of values and goals and sees a different purpose and end to the world than what the world is pointing to. As I finish, I want you to think about the chapters 21 and 22 in, in Revelation. It's one of my favorite parts of scripture that's a spectacular climax of, jo of John's vision. And we get in that part, we get the fullest glimpse of God's overall mission. God's holy city descends to earth, and that's important because it's not about souls ascending to this faraway heaven. God's holy city descends to earth, and John hears a voice saying, see, the home of God is among the people. The home of God is among the people. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God will be right there in the midst of them and he'll wipe away every tear and death will be no more and mourning and crying and pain will be no more. And why is all this going to happen? For the healing of the nations. For the healing of all people. At World Methodist Evangelism, our vision is that the world may know Jesus Christ. And do you know why that's our vision? Because through the work of Jesus Christ, the God of all creation is reconciling all things, reconciling all people, reconciling all nations. The mission of God is to bring all-encompassing reconciliation and healing to the whole of creation. This is the mission which God is accomplishing through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the ministry to which all of us are called when we commit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So do we want peoples of all nations and cultures to come to faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Not rhetorical. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Then in this in-between time, when we are on the way but not quite there yet, we got to be a foretaste of God's healing salvation. In this in-between time, this Easter Saturday time, we got to be a liminal people shaped from first to last by the call to be holy, different, 
in the world, but not of it, demonstrating that Jesus is the renewer of all of creation, the whole face of the earth, all dimensions of life. As Christ followers, the salvation that we proclaim is that big. And the news, the news is that good. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious God, enable us, empower us with your spirit to be liminal Christians. People with feet in multiple different cultures willing to make a place for others, space for others, find that common ground. Be a foretaste of your future for all of creation. We pray it with confidence. In Jesus' name, amen.